Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. We help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza! You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's jump into today's episode. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him, like, you should go check it out. You're going to be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was going to tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, AndyJPizza.com, if you want to see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. worked in a little cafe for a period of time while I was in college and one of my duties was to cook the coffee uh, for for people in the French presses or as the Brits call cafetiers saying it as the French call the press it's just that's a French press and that's real name of it. Anyway, I had to cook the coffee and uh, we're getting some complaints. We had to have an expert come in and teach me how to cook coffee. And I'm like, look, dude, I know how to cook coffee. And he's like, you know how I know that you don't? Because you don't Don't cook cook coffee. coffee. You brew it. And the first major mistake you're making is you're burning the coffee. You're pouring boiling water onto the coffee and I was like yeah that's how you cook it and he's like you don't and I was like dude coffee geek nobody cares nobody can tell the difference between a burnt cup of coffee and a regular cup like give me a freaking break and he's like no you need it in this temperature range and he brewed me this little cup and and I put it to my lips and for the first time in my life I tasted what coffee was supposed to taste like And I was humbled. My little 
know-it-all 19-year-old self who didn't know crap about coffee and how nasty burnt coffee was. That day I became a coffee enthusiast. It changed my life. I've, I've thought about all the days that I wasted drinking burnt crappy coffee when I could have been tasting the goods had I only humbled myself earlier. And this repeated over and over in my life. You know, my, my first boss in design tried to convince me to start drawing on a drawing tablet digitally instead of just doing everything analog. And it would have saved me years. It would have put me a years ahead of where I am now because I didn't do it for like three years. And now digital drawing is a huge part of my process. Lots to do with all of the work that I've been able to do. You know, even in business, I had to get broken down and I had to... Uh, hit rock bottom before I humbled myself before the business experts. It's funny, my dad is kind of a business nerd and I always thought of him that way when I was a teenager. You know, on a bored Saturday, I'd just be like, oh my gosh, I'm so bored. And he'd be like, you know, you could read a book. And I was like, yeah, dad, I'm going to read a book. And he's like, yeah, who wants to, you know, dive into the mankind's collective knowledge throughout history neatly packaged into small chunks for your consumption yeah who wants to do that i was like oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh you're such a nerd uh and it wasn't until i freaking hit rock bottom in my creative career and had bill collectors chasing me and my dreams crumbling before my eyes that i humbled myself and i uh or i wasn't i didn't humble myself i was humbled by the universe and it was then and only then that I started to seriously dive into the world of business and uh, try to learn what those before me had to offer. And I'm so glad I did because everything that's happening in my creative career now is because of the books that I read in that season. So I thought in the spirit of collaboration, since we're doing some episodes on collaboration, I would dive into what I learned from others through reading books. So this is the top 10 books that changed my creative career and the lesson that I learned from them. I think this episode is going to be a little bit fun. I think it's going to be highly tactical and uh, and a nice rapid fire. Boom, 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 a bunch of stuff that could change your life overnight. Let's get started. Okay. Number one, before you have to hit rock bottom, go ahead. Don't let the world humble you. Humble, humble yourself. yourself. Say, you know what? Maybe I'm not as good as I think. Maybe I'm not so good. Maybe I don't have it all worked out. And take a minute and open your ears. One of these books might be the book that you need to read next that can change your creative career. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. So the first book on this list is Platform by Michael Hyatt, and I put it number one on the list because Creative Pep Talk as a podcast would not exist without this book. Everything that I've done in this podcast is directly inspired by what I learned from Platform by Michael Hyatt. The idea is that, you know, a platform, what a regular platform is, is something you build uh, so you can stand up above the crowd and be heard. And your online platform, your social media presence, your blog, your website, your, you know, everything you're putting out there into the world via social media and, and online is your online platform. And so Michael Hyatt comes from the uh, the publishing industry. And he saw this trend where publishers were only really interested in pitches from people who had somewhat of a platform online. Now, you can say, 
you know, that's unfair in terms of, uh, you know, your social media metrics shouldn't factor in on whether you have a good book to sell. But the truth is, I think if we go to the heart of the matter, if we dig in a little bit deeper, all that social media metrics really mean or what, what, uh, what they should mean is that you're good at delivering value to an audience and that there is an audience that wants the type of thing that you have to offer. And I'd actually like to dismantle this idea that social media metrics don't matter. Now, I do think that, yeah, some people go viral or they get a lucky break and they get some wild following overnight and it's not really indicative of the value that they provide as a creative person. But ultimately, there are a lot of creative people out there with you know, even micro audiences or medium-sized audiences that are a complete direct result of an artist's ability to consistently show up and deliver a very particular type of value that an audience is there for. And I think the thing that Platform taught me more than anything was to quit thinking that the gatekeepers, that the publishers, that the record labels, that the agents, that the clients, that the businesses, that all these people somehow were going to help me connect with an audience if I couldn't do it on my own. If I couldn't show up and, and, and you know, do what online is all about. It's about the ability to go straight to your customer. Originally, the dream of the internet was that it could eliminate middlemen. Now, I don't actually think that's true. That's another whole discussion. But ultimately, if you're waiting around for this gatekeeper, this fairy art mother to show up and somehow put a magic spell on your stuff and get uh, thousands and thousands of people to finally connect with your work, you are missing the point. Because, you know, nowadays with my creativity... I often have to really sell myself to consider letting a middleman in, letting a publisher in, letting a gatekeeper in, and distributing my stuff instead of just going straight to the audience because there's actually a lot of cons uh, on that list rather than pros. And so Platform helped me see that there was nothing in the way of connecting to the audience that I wanted to connect with and that there was all the value in to stop waiting for permission and to just start learning the tough lessons of actually resonating with an audience. I believe that we actually avoid all of this because it's easier to think that uh, we're just talent that hasn't been discovered or, you know, we just haven't had the lucky viral success or, you know, that the plat that, that the tables are, um, you know, not even and imbalanced and, and uh, that everything just goes to social media influencers or whatever. And actually, I think all of that's hiding. And I think Everything that you need to connect with your audience is in your pocket right now. And the other thing I learned from Platform was this idea of, okay, focusing on delivering value straight to my audience online, get practice there, prove myself in that arena, and get you know the metrics behind it, and that when I've done that, then go to the gatekeeper. And this has inspired my whole side quest series about how, you know, uh, where I talk about the game Zelda and it's an open world thing and you can go straight to the bad guy at the start of the game. But if you do that, you get your butt handed to you because you don't have any weapons and that you should go on side quests and do side projects and, you know, do straight to 
your customer stuff online and build up a case. Arm yourself before you go to those gatekeepers. If you arm yourself with a platform, a publisher, an agent, a record label, whoever will be so much more inclined to listen to you. And so I learned that from the book platform. You should go check it out if you want some tips and tricks. There's even really tactical, practical stuff like headline writing. You know, I learned about how people interact with the book through that book, about, you know, the title, the tagline, the back of the book, that kind of thing. I don't know if he goes into the specifics of that, but it's this idea that, you know, uh, the like, if you don't, this is why headline writing, and I take... Uh, because of that book, I take the titles of these podcasts super seriously and I have since the beginning because I realized that how I write a, a headline is make or break to whether people give it a shot. And uh, that's in, influenced me to go check out, and I'll put these in my show notes. Uh, there's these, I have bookmarked these headline writing tools where they grade your headlines. There's Write Better Headlines. It's a headline analyzer by CoSchedule. There's a Share Through Headline Analyzer, and they kind of give different scores and value different things. And I run all of my podcast episode headlines through that metric. I take it very seriously. I probably write uh, 10 to 30 headlines for each episode of the podcast because of that book. Now that's me giving away the real secrets of the trade, the real gold. Uh, shout out to Chris Graham for uh, Chris Graham mastering guy who helps me with this podcast for hooking me up with these tools. I'll put them in the show notes. Um, you've got to take these things seriously. Number two is Growth Hacker Marketing by Ryan Holiday. <gasps> Hack that growth in the morning with, with Ryan Holiday. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why this became a weird morning show, but uh, <laughs> seriously. I, and I Look, Growth Hacker Marketing, what I was going to tell you is listen. Don't judge a book by its cover. I know I'm trying to teach you to make your covers really good, knowing that people will judge your book by its cover, but don't judge a book by its title. Growth Hacker Marketing, I don't like that name, but in the marketing world that people get down with that kind of thing. I know, I know us in the creative world kind of makes us want to puke our guts out, but uh, that book, if you can get past the title, is one of the most chocked full uh um, incredible books on marketing that I've ever read. It's one of my top favorites. Um, uh, go check it out by Ryan Hill Holiday. Um, and the thing that that taught me most was language for something. As early in the early days of the podcast, I was even talking about this idea of figuring out what you've got that people want. And I didn't have a term for it, but it's called product market fit. Product, what you've got, market, what people want. And finding that sweet spot, that Venn diagram of authentic work that also resonates. And it's this idea, I've turned it into this idea of writing on stage. Writing on stage is what comedians do, right? You've heard me talk about this a lot recently. It's a concept I'm super pumped about because uh, I, I believe that the reason that, if you've ever seen a comedian, they get up there and they do their special and it feels actually like magic. Like if you see a real stand-up comedian what they're doing in terms of storytelling and jokes and how they're playing you like an instrument uh, and, and manipulating you to have physical response, it feels magical. 
And I think we think that like this person sat in a room and they're just a freaking creative genius and they just typed these jokes out. You know, that is not how it goes, man. Like if you see one of these geniuses go test out new material, it does not go well very often. Like it's very hit or miss. And these specials are on the back of months and months and tons of stage time writing on stage, you know, writing while publishing at the same time, like making and publishing as one activity. And your stage is the internet. Anybody can do that. And so you can, you can make stuff and publish it online as a way of learning. Social media is your stage. And uh, I'm, I might do a class or even, um, you know, another future episode on what I learned and how I used this concept of writing on stage to go from getting hundreds of likes on my posts on Instagram all the way to regular likes for anywhere from three to up to 9,000 likes. And, and I did the processes that he talks about in this book. You know, I, I made stuff and I analyzed it and I tweaked and I did that process over and over again until I was hitting that sweet spot between what the, what's authentic to me and what resonates to my audience. And I think what it really taught me was to, to quit pretending like I was Beyonce where everyone's like waiting for my secret material. And then one day out of the blue, I just drop it like, boom, check that out. Every time I've ever done that kind of thing. Uh, especially early in my career when no one's watching and I haven't been writing on stage and slowly gathering uh, that resonance, it would just be to crickets, right? Like I'm sure you've experienced like, oh, I've been working on this graphic novel for like six months. I'm going to put it online. Boom, check out that. And yeah. you get like seven retweets. Oh. And then the next day is just the next day and it's not any different than the day before. I've done that a million times. This book taught me not to do that. And my favorite part of the book is that he wrote the book using this process. And so this best-selling book started as a blog post and it was literally just one of the more popular blog posts. And that writing on stage, his stage was the blog and he was putting out posts and he was uh, learning while on stage, creating while on stage, and noticing which posts were gaining traction. And so that that blog post was so popular that he turned it into an ebook. And that ebook was so much more popular than other things, and it was so much more resonant that he turned it into another book. And then he even turned it into a second edition of the book. And I just this idea that you know making and publishing. Uh, making and putting stuff out are inextricably linked and that you can tweak and pivot your way to success in creativity if you can figure out, put your hand on the pulse of what's authentic to you and what's resonating with your audience. And it's idea, you know, I think about it, it's not so much about doing whatever your audience wants. It's more about uh, measuring your success and achieving your creative goals. You know, if, you, if you're looking for laughs, uh, you know, tweaking your joke telling to get the maximum laughs isn't inauthentic, right? And so anyway, there's tons of other great stuff in there. Growth Hacker Marketing by Ryan Holiday. Number three is uh, Jab, 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 Right Hook by Gary Vaynerchuk. You know, what I love about this book is I think that it is, if you're ever just like, dude, Gary V sick of this guy showing up in my feed and his freaking huckster hustle crap look i i understand why you might feel like that but this book should convince you of his social media expertise yeah he's got a big shtick and he's got that sounds really weird 
<laughs> got a big shtick, got a whole shtick going on, right? And this big thing and big personality and all, you know, social media presence and whatever. But if you go get this book, you're going to see this is the most tactical social media book you will ever see. It is so, it's like pictures of Instagram posts and very particular ideas and analysis of what works and what doesn't work and, and advertising and all that stuff, uh, Facebook posts, all that jazz, very, very, very practical. It's like almost like a textbook for social media. I wouldn't be surprised if it's not used that way in uh, marketing courses in, in schools. Um, go check it out. You need to just... Uh, dive into this world. And the thing that this taught me more than anything was that every social media platform has a native language. Like though, if you think of them like restaurants, I think Gary Vee talks about this, like you don't go into McDonald's the same way you go into uh, Ruth Chris, which is some kind of steakhouse, St. Elmo's. That's an Indianapolis thing. That's pretty famous. It was on Parks and Rec and, and whatever. Ron Swanson likes it. That's all you need to know. Anyway, uh, you don't show up in the same attire. You're the same person, but you have lots of ways of showing up differently to different occasions. You don't act the same you, as you do with your buddies from college as you do with your parents. Like, you know, you, there's you're, you have to kind of slightly cater yourself to the occasion. And the same goes for social media, like the way you show up on Twitter, what works on Twitter doesn't necessarily work on Instagram, doesn't necessarily work on Facebook, doesn't necessarily work on Dribble. Like you've got to understand what does that platform want? And I think the most interesting thing about this idea isn't to show up for what it wants. But what I've been trying to do lately is to use that information to subvert it to stand out, understand the context, and then flip it on its head. So for Instagram lately, you know, Instagram started as a thing where it was all about uh, persona, all about looking pretty, all about everything being perfect. And it goes so far down that road. If you understand that language and you understand that context, you realize that at some point there's a backlash against it. And now what works on Instagram as a breath of fresh air is when you're vulnerable. Now what works is showing your mistakes, showing your mess ups, getting real, getting authentic. And so it doesn't matter so much that you abide by the native language. It's, it matters that you understand it and that you, uh, you understand that box and then you subvert it. You know, I've never liked this idea of think outside the box. I hate that term because to me, thinking outside the box sounds like, you know, go into an empty vacuum and just come up with stuff from the top of your head. And that's just not the way that creativity is done. I think creativity is done in the same way that, kids have more fun with an empty box than they do with a toy that tells them exactly what to do with it, right? But you don't just get rid of the box. Like, you know, put kids in an empty room, they're going to be pretty bored. You give them one box and they can subvert that box, what the purpose of that box is. And the most interesting things you can do with that box are things that uh, that box was not intended for. And so I think understanding the context and understanding what this platform was built for will allow, you know, I think about it this way. It's just the information that you need. I was told, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I really like to know what are the expectations of the audience I'm going to speak to uh, are, and not so that I can meet those expectations, but so that I can play on them as an empty box. You know, I had a, uh, my friend Kyle Sheely was telling me 
uh, there was a, I wish I knew the comedian, but all I know is that Kyle Shealy told me about it, my buddy, um, that there was this comedian that likes to know what are the things at this college that I'm not allowed to joke about. And he uses that box to subvert it and start with jokes about that content. And so understanding the native language, you know, uh, if you just completely ignore all of the context of what happens on these platforms, what works on these platforms, it doesn't allow you to think, think outside, outside the, the box. box. It doesn't allow you to be Taco Bell of the creative world thinking, thinking outside, outside the, the bun. bun. Uh, <laughs> but it allows you to be irrelevant. But it is by understanding the box that you can flip it on its head and make a cool cardboard television and make your own shows on there. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. All right, number four. This one's kind of a cheat because I actually heard this originally in Seth Godin's talk, his TED Talk, which I'll put in the show notes, but it's from the book, The Pur uh, Purple Cow. And it's this idea of how do you make a focal point in the market? He doesn't use this terminology, but I do. And basically what he describes is the definition of a focal point, which is creating a pattern and then breaking it. And he talks about how silk milk that does not need to be refrigerated because it's made of almonds. Uh, you know, they used to put it on the shelf. They weren't selling. All of a sudden, they throw it into the milk section of the grocery store and it sells like crazy and gets all this market share. And the reason is, is because it's milk, 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 not milk. So it creates a focal point, not by standing out though. It's the point of that story to me is not about being purple. It's not about a field of cows and being a purple alien in the field. That's just freaking nuts. What it's talking about is being a purple cow. It's about being part of a pattern, but subverting it. And I, and this is where I learned about uh, the importance of understanding what market you're in. Who are the people that you want to be like and embracing similarity? Like I, this is one of my things I harp on all the time on this podcast, but I'm so crazy about it. And I learned it from this perspective is that, you know, being, giving no context for your audience is just like creative death. And in fact, you don't like the things you like are you like them because they're like the things that you like. And they're usually not just like the things you like, but they're a new take on it. They're a fresh word. They're a fresh perspective. And so I like this. It's again, subverting the box. It's not ignoring the box. And so this, the thing I learned from Purple Cow is that idea that you should not, not, be a part of a trend. I feel like if you're chasing trends, that's with the end in mind. It's a cash grab. It's I want to, what's the next hot thing so that I can take advantage of it to meet this end that I'm looking for, which is financial or, or glory or whatever it is. But in fact, uh, this idea is about the means. It's the journey. It's what means something to you. It's about being, it's about moving alongside other creatives. It's not about trends. It's about movements. What are the movements that move you? Moo. It's purple cow. Yeah. Baby, move it over and get part of something. Be part of something bigger than you. Don't just be part of it though. Do a fresh take. 
that's how you're gonna create a focal point within your industry. I've said it once, I'll say it again. If your friend said, you gotta listen to this band, man, and you're like, what does it sound like? Nothing you've ever heard before. And I'm like, I'll never listen to that. Like, I just don't have the time to waste those kind of calories. But if you say, it's like that band that you love and that band you love, plus this new flavor, it's, it's a, a taste, taste sensation. You've, You've never, never tasted, tasted it before. before. That will get me to listen to it. And so Purple Cow, that's what it taught me. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Next up on the list, we got number five, The One Thing by Jay Papasan and Gary Keller. Uh, the this book is just about identifying the one thing that you're going to focus on at a time. Might be that day, might be that week, might be that quarter, might be that year, might be that decade, might be that century, whatever it is. It's about having a focus and really identifying the thing that you can leverage right now, the next right thing you need to do that will either make everything you need to do obsolete, like accomplished, or easier to accomplish. And I use this concept every single day. I talk about the domino every single day. And I love the concept in the book. They talk about, you know, a domino can knock over another domino, double its size. And within like 10 dominoes, a tiny domino can knock over a door. And this is the power of the one thing. And it's really true. It's been true in my health. It's been true in my money. It's been true in my family. It's been true in my habits, my creativity and my career. I have been using this concept. I list those things out, health, money, creativity, family, habits, and say, what's the one thing if I get that right, if they get that done, if I focus my energy in knocking that out, cracking that code, everything else I want to do will be easier or already be done. You know, a few years ago, it was losing a bunch of weight. This year, health-wise, it's getting my run, running going. And money, I'll look at what are the things that I can do in my career right now that will make the most amount of money for the least amount of time so I can create margin for my creativity. And you see, you can see that domino effect. There's also this book by uh, Emily P. Freeman. I haven't read the book, but I've heard some content from her. It's called The Next Right Thing. And it takes this domino idea and it kind of makes it a spiritual principle. And it's actually how I live my life, spiritually speaking. I know this isn't a spiritual podcast. Some of you guys are like, Andy, lean into the spirit. Give us the woo. Give us the weirdest weirdness. And the other, other half of you are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm just trying to learn creative career tactics. You're making it strange. But for me personally, uh, one of my biggest spiritual principles is this domino idea is I try to get in my, I, you know, a lot, often many days a week, I will get up early, I'll take a bath or I'll go on a walk and I'll just try to figure, get in touch, get back in touch with that next right thing. What is my life all about uh, in terms of habits, in terms of uh, family, in terms of money? Like what is the next thing? that I need to be focusing on. And then once I get that right, moving on to the next thing. And I really believe that is a spiritual principle uh, of following that pulse and that intuition and that uh, 
you know, efficiently getting set to that mark and just kind of knocking them one out at a time. If you will do that, you'll be blown away by how different you are today than you were 10 years ago. If you, it doesn't have to be some giant list. It doesn't have to be some crazy uh, uh, overnight success or overnight change. If you can just get it down to the next right domino in each one of these areas, the person you are in 10 years from now will be unrecognizable from the person you are today. And that's why number five is the one thing. Number six is... John Acuff's finish. I read John Acuff's book, Quitter, back in the day. Uh, that was a, a big book for me, too. That's kind of an honorable mention, if you will. Uh, but finish gets the list because that thing is chocked full of tactics. And you know how I get jazz out of my shorts about those tactics. Oh, I love those tactics. Um, but uh, the, the book, Finish, my favorite thing that I learned from that book is this strategic look at the market. There's this part where he talks about how Will Smith, early on in his career, got into a bit of a pickle. I think this was uh, uh, after Fresh Prince. It was in his rap career game. And he did this big thing and he lost all, or he owed the IRS tons and tons of money. It nearly like sank his whole career and he was determined to never get in that spot again. And so him and his agent talked and they said, let's get the top 10 movies of all time and see what they have in common. And here's what he found out that they have romance and they have some kind of supernatural, fantastical creature. And that's when Will Smith became the person that he is today. If you look at the box office results, uh, ignoring Aladdin, even though it's supernatural characters in that too, uh, he is a supernatural character in that, but that's kind of a weird one we're not going to compare him with right now. Uh, Suicide Squad, Independence Day, I Am Legend, Men in Black, Hancock, Men in Black 2, like every single one of them has this formula in it and has informed his decisions for which movies to do. And I love that tactic because I love this idea of recognizing patterns as a thing that informs your creative career strategy. And so have you ever tried to uh, strategize and, and, and analyze your market this way? Have you ever looked at what are the things that resonate most? It doesn't mean you have to, again, this is the box. You don't have to use the box for his intention. Will Smith could have as easily subverted that and done something totally different with that information and got similar results. We don't know, but that is a freaking awesome tactic. I freaking love that tactic. You need to go check that book out. It's got a bunch of stuff like that. Stumbling on that tactic from that book, uh, that tactic alone, tactic, 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 tactic. How many times I said tactic in this episode? Uh, that, that alone is making it on this list because I just loved reading that. But it's, it's just a really tactical book, man. Tactical, practical, actionable steps. Don't you want to get your creative career in order today? Check out Finish by John Acuff. Number seven is Mindset by Dr. Carol Dweck. I don't know if there's a book that's had a bigger influence on this podcast, even going back to the first couple episodes. I can hear myself grappling with the ideas from this book. This idea, Mindset is 
you the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset, which if you've listened to this show for very long at all, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, go check out the book. But essentially, uh, growth mindset means your abilities, inclinations, your powers, your potential, your strengths, they all have the b- potential to grow. And a fixed mindset is an attitude that says, I'm either smart or stupid, I either have it or I don't, and I don't think that there's anything plaguing, ravaging, destroying creative's potential quite like the fixed mindset. If you there and it, and it's so pervasive, it's so prevalent in the creative world to think you've either got the X factor, you either you either have the gift, you either have the talent or you don't. And the problem with that and why it's so freaking cancer for creativity is because it, if you have the fixed mindset, you don't want to try things that you might not be good at. And it means that it won't allow you to get out of your comfort zone. And it won't allow you to develop your gift. Because the truth is, I'm a big believer in this, this idea that your gift is something you might develop on the mission, on the journey to find it. And I think that there's this idea, this fixed mindset in the creative world that says, when I find my gift, when I finally figure out what it is that's special about me, then I'll start the journey. And so we just sit around navel gazing, you know, waiting for the fairy art mother to show up and tell us what's special about us, waiting for a talent scout to show up or an agent to say hey you're magical in this area and it's actually mickey mouse that's what he sounded like and and uh we wait we wait instead of making stuff because if you have the growth mindset you believe look it doesn't matter how good i am at this right now i can get better and if i put in the time i will improve and so if most people, we have this fixed mindset that says, uh, when I believe that I have it, I start putting in the time. But as soon as I start doubting whether I have it, I quit putting any time into it whatsoever. But what if putting in the time is how you have it? And it's been my experience that out there making stuff you know, trying things out, getting out of my comfort zone, putting the effort in, trying to push my potential and push into my limits. It's out there on the road where the rubber hits the road that I start figuring out what I'm actually made of. And I actually see a parallel to the work of Brene Brown, another honorable mention, Brene Brown, any of her work. She talks about the difference between guilt and shame and how shame is just this uh, pervasive, like... Uh, monster that just destroys so many lives and keeps us from being vulnerable and keep keeps us from risking. I actually feel like mindset and uh, Brene Brown's work is there's so much um, overlap here because she says guilt is feeling bad about something you did, which is good. Like we need to. If you did something bad, you should feel bad about it. You should try to make amends. You should try to make it right. And you should try to learn from it. But shame is feeling bad about who you are. And that's fixed. That's something that can't change. Guilt is something you can do something about. That's a growth mindset. And so for me, there's probably nothing more influential, more impactful for my creative career than the growth mindset. Just believing like, 
I'm going to lead with my taste. If I'm excited about some creative work, if I'm excited about a new market, if I'm excited about, uh, you know, if something's, and not just excited, but it's really tickling my fancy, that inner palate, uh, that, that inner tongue, <laughs> golly, uh, that if it's doing it on a deep level and I can really taste that thing and it's, and it's, and it's getting me excited, then I know that I'm going to get something from trying that thing out, even if it doesn't turn into the thing I get paid for. That that uh, getting out of that comfort zone will, uh, you know, get new material for the stuff that I end up making one day, and it'll give me new data to know where my strengths really lie. And uh, yeah, so that that's been huge. I think it's, you know, maybe the most influential. Uh, book for the podcast in my creative journey mindset by dr carol dweck number eight is start with why by simon sinek and the reason i love this book so much is because i believe that it's really easy as creative people to get very bogged down in the what, the what we make, the what we are, the label. You know, we're an illustrator, we're a designer, we're a logo maker, we're, does anybody put that on their business card? We're a public speaker, we're an actor, we're a writer. And we get very, very freaking bogged down and obsessed with this label, what we do, instead of being obsessed with why we do it. And it's my experience that if you get obsessed with why you're making art, the medium does not matter. And I found that I am, above all things, an illustrator, but not because I make pictures, but because I like to illuminate invisible things. I like to take the abstract and the esoteric and uh, illustrate it with an analogy or a metaphor or a story in such a way that it transforms from something invisible to something visible and tangible that you can taste, touch, smell, or hear, and you can feel it in your heart. I love taking the truths about love and family and life and beauty and wonder and all these things that we know are true, we know they matter, but we can't hardly feel them on a regular basis, and I love to transform them and illustrate them into something that you can feel. I love that. I love that kind of creativity that reminds us what life is all about. And I think illustrators, whether you're using words to illustrate with a story or with an analogy or using pictures with a visual metaphor, like that is my jam. And there's this thing I feel like, you know, uh, Simon Sinek talks about Apple. Why is Apple the number one company in the world? It's because they are not obsessed with what, they're obsessed with why. And they became Apple when they became medium agnostic, when they weren't specific to the thing they were making. But they were very specific and very obsessed with why they made what they did. When they, be, when they quit being a computer company and they started being a company that thinks differently about technology, that's when Apple was born. You see, uh, you know, Apple went through this downturn and this struggle and, uh, you know, they were struggling to sell computers, which is what they've always been was a computer company. And it was the things that brought them out of that were things like the iPod and the iPhone and the iPad and, and the headphones that they brought out and iTunes, the way they did music, like when they just quit being obsessed 
with what they were as a company, what they made and how they did it. And they got deeper about why, why are they here? And I, what I love about that is because I think that why gets in touch with your target. It gets in touch with your taste and what does it for you and what your particular metal detector, what's special about what you can recognize and what registers on your palate. If you have that, you can do that for others. I love this why thing because I think it gets to the heart of the golden rule that transcends culture and religion to do unto others as you want done to you. Writing what you know. If you know what you wish someone would do for you, you can do that for others and you can tickle their fancies and that that's about why. And so for me, my career really took off to new levels and I broke through some, some ceilings when I quit thinking my, of myself as someone who makes pictures, but instead someone who illustrates the invisible things in life. And I don't care if I do it with a kid's book. I don't care if I do it with a talk. I don't care if I do it with a YouTube video. And I highly suggest you as a creative person, quit reducing your meaning and your value down to what you make and be lit on fire by why you make it and go on that lifelong journey to figure out why. Why are you doing this? There's this uh, practice uh, that I, that I've heard in a bunch of different, uh, endeavors about how to find your why. And it's just about keep, you know, be a two-year-old, be the toddler that never stops asking why that says, well, uh, I want to make pictures. Well, why do you want to make pictures? Well, it's, uh, I, I like pictures. Well, why do you like pictures? Well, I like pictures because they bring a new perspective. Well, why do they bring a new perspective? Why does bringing a new perspective matter? Well, a new perspective matters because for me personally, there was a time in my life where I had a paradigm shift in my mind and all of a sudden the world was different than I'd ever seen it and it opened up new levels of wonder in my life and new levels of excitement, new levels of breakthrough, new mindsets. That's why I want to make pictures. So you keep asking why till you get to the bottom. Once you start using words that actually move you, when you tell them there are certain words I can find, I love it, man. I love to find supercharged words. You know, for me, for this podcast, I've been thinking a lot about why do I make this podcast and how can I articulate in such a way that it brings tears to my eyes and I feel it and I'm fired up. And this is where I'm at right now with that, just to share it with you, just because I think there's some oh, fresh fire here. <laughs> fire! There's some fresh fire uh, here and it's this. Why do I make creative pep talk? What's the vision? What's the why? Yeah. What? What is it? It's a podcast right now, but I don't even care. It could be a podcast right now. It could be something else later. It doesn't matter. Why I make it is because I want to make a world where creative people, neurodiverse people, you know, people with autism, people with ADHD, people with dyslexia, dyspraxia, with dyscalculia, with, uh, you know, synesthesia, people with different types of brains, weirdos, don't have to work twice as hard as neurotypical people to thrive in this world. And why I want to do it isn't to make things fair. Yeah, I want things to be fair, but that's not my driver. My driver is because I believe in that world the world's biggest problems, the world's biggest pains, the world's biggest imbalances will be fixed. I believe the world is sick and the cure isn't more cowbell. I got a fever and the only prescription. It's creative people, it's neurodiverse people, it's different types of people 
getting a swing at bat. And I want to build a world that does tests, that tests for and measures the types of brains that are different. And it celebrates it and it helps utilize it, helps them develop and it helps them cure this cancer of a world that's been brought about by the industrial revolution that gave us a bunch of great things but the industrial revolution meant that we tried to find the average how do we find the typical how do we find the the you know the brains that work the same the truth is none of our brains work the same we need to celebrate it embrace it and i think if we do that we're going to have a better world that's why i make this podcast do you feel that why that's why it's so important i know it sounds esoteric i know it sounds like pie in the sky dreamy but if you will dive into those deeper levels the results will take care of themselves trust it man do the hard work this is one that i haven't maybe talked about much it's from a southern preacher it was a book that my dad gave me it's called the principle of the path by andy stanley it's not a spiritual book it's really a book about uh, the power of planning and uh, patterns. And this book gave me an analogy that I use on this podcast all the freaking time. Uh, I always try to cite it when I say it, um, but it's this idea that winning the lottery is not a financial plan. And the reason is, well, we all know that, right? If I said, what's your, uh, if you know, if you met with a financial investor uh, and they said, what's your plan for your future? And you're like, oh, I'm going to win the lottery. They're like, I don't think that's a plan. And you just want to unbox that for a minute and and, uh, and break it down. Why is winning the lottery not a plan? Is because you can't plan on something random. You can't plan where there isn't a pattern. And this is Andy Stanley's idea and uh, I have every time I say Andy Stan Andy Stanley, I always want to say Andy McStanley uh, or Andy McManley because those are characters that I created that talk like this, and they're my manly, masculine, uh, macho guy. But um, <laughs> you didn't ask for that. Uh, so uh, anyway, Andy McStanley, his real name is Andy Stanley, he talks about this idea that you can't plan on winning the lottery for your financial plan. And this is so huge to me because in the art world, we have this massive problem. I feel like the, all of these books, actually, the principle I learned are demystifying the world and also kind of uh, untangling deep woven toxic creative mythology that hurts creative people's ability to thrive things we've passed down things that have some truth to them that ultimately lead to our own destruction so for us I feel like we're constantly trying to be the people that we see that are ultra super famous as creative people and those are the people that have won the creative lottery they're the people that went viral because they were in the right place at the right time and if you try to mimic them, that plan is based on no pattern. It's based on winning the lottery. And as Connor Ober says, I'd be, rather be working for a paycheck than trying to win the lottery. And so for me, this book taught me not to try to be the thing, the next big thing, but to figure out what are the patterns in my market? What are the patterns in my uh, industry? What are the patterns of creative success and Use those patterns to formulate a plan to create cash flow, to create, uh, you know, consistency in my business.
Where are the places where you can make a consistent living? Where are the, and that pattern is just about, one of the things I ask people all the time, if they're struggling creatively, they're struggling in their creative career, I say, who's like five people who are in a market that are thriving financially? If you can't tell me five people that are doing the type of work, the genre or the market, that are thriving, if there aren't even just five people earning a living in a manner in which you would like to, you are trying to win the creative lottery. And if you're trying to do that, that's not a freaking plan. And I think we can blame ourselves. We can blame the magazines. You know, we don't put people on the front of the magazine or we don't interview the people that have a consistent uh, living, that have thrived, that have you know, set up a retirement that paid their insurance that, uh, you know, sent their kids to college. We don't celebrate those types of creative people. And actually, just even as I'm saying it right now, just to be completely authentic, I want to do more of that stuff. I want to talk to the people that have made a thriving living where they're joyful and fulfilled in what they're doing, even if they're not famous. So you can hold me to that. Okay. Let's think more about that. I'd like to have a few guests, uh, like more guests like that. Um, and uh, highlight those people. Actually, Sophie and I had talked about creating uh, an, an awards, uh, an awards something, trophy? It's, uh, some trophies. Send trophies out to people that are just hitting that target right in the middle of art and business and just building that thriving creative career. And maybe they don't get all the accolades. They're not young guns. They're not the sexiest. They're not the most famous. They didn't have an overnight success. But those are the people with the patterns that we have the most to learn from. And we can thank Andy McStanley for that. But really, Andy Stanley and the principal of The Path. Number 10. Number 10, I'm going to say, Hero of a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell. Now, I read that book. It's a large book. I'm proud of myself. I'm going to brag about it as much as I possibly can because even though there were some super big aha moments in there and and that book and that body of work led to probably the most important inspiration in my life in all forms, uh, it's just a heavy book. It's just a lot to go through. But I could have put number 10. I could have put Hero of a Thousand Faces. I could have put uh, by Joseph Campbell. I could have put... Um, uh, the the Dream Giver. I could have by Bruce Wilkinson. I could have put uh, a thousand miles, thousand miles in a million years by Don Miller. I could have put Christopher Vogler's The Writer's Journey. Whatever it is, they're all basically saying the same thing: to see your life through the lens of story. And I deeply believe, uh, you know, it's probably closest to my understanding of a religious thought is to see your life. If you want to make sense of life, if you want to bring meaning to your existence, if you want to find clarity for your direction, see your life as a story. It's A story isn't a thing that exists outside of us. It's not something humans made up. It is the key. It's like the act, you know, like a map with a key. It is the uh, rubric. It's the it's the map of our neurology. It's how our brains work. Our neurons. We are nothing more, as Science Mike would say, than a, uh, a, a you know billions of neurons telling a story to itself. Like that sensation that you get that you call yourself experiencing the experiencing the world from this particular perspective. This understanding that you think of yourself as you. That you that you understand yourself as, that 
is a story that you're telling yourself and it has a very particular way of working and I would go one step further. I think story has some mystical, magical, spiritual, powerful principles deep within the fabric of the universe. There's something cosmically powerful and supercharged that happens when you tap into the story and the narrative that's trying to unearth from your bones. And even recently, man, that I went through a season of like nine months of just completely not having any clarity, confusion in a freaking fog. And the thing that caught me out was uh, going back to this principle, going back to the stages of the hero's journey. And it's a way of thinking of your life in seasons and moments and segmenting it out and saying this is the way that your adventure unfolds, all the adventures you do, every scene in your movie, every movie, every sequel, every trilogy, every one that you live, it has a particular pattern. Yeah, there's all these different variables, but essentially every new calling on your life works in this manner. And so if you're stuck today, you can look into this pattern and you can ask yourself, are you in stage one? Is there a new calling on your life? that you need to say yes to? Or are you in step two, refusal of the call? Did the call happen and you've just been completely ignoring it because you're too afraid to go into a new adventure? You're too comfortable in your current existence and you don't want to risk it. Uh, Are you at a time where all the, are you in the season where there's supernatural help coming. There's mentors showing up. There's friends showing up on this new calling and this new endeavor. Have you said yes to the call? You're in the middle of it. You, the friends showed up and now you're in the belly of the whale. Even I've noticed that if I will use this principle when I'm in the belly of the whale, which is this place of confusion and darkness and not knowing what's going on, even just the language to be the observer in that situation to say, oh, I'm in the belly of the whale, gives me so much peace. Even it gives me clarity where there is no clarity. I'm like, oh, I have the clarity to know I'm in the stage of the journey where you can't possibly have clarity. And even in that, that narrative gives me peace and insight and passion to show up in that current season and give it everything that it needs. And in not, you know, in that same way of, you know, show up when it's time to plant the seeds and not be trying to harvest. And I've learned that through these books and through the hero of a thousand faces and this hero's journey. So I recommend you go through this list, go find the stages. Well, I've, I recommend looking at Christopher Vogler's 12 stages of the hero's journey because he breaks it down into a little bit more digestible chunks if you're not familiar with this terminology and figure out where are you on the journey. I just heard, I was reminded of this process even though I've heard it a thousand times on Deepak Chopra's podcast with Dr. Jean Houston and she prompts Deepak to go through this and when she did I realized that there was this clear new journey trying to be birthed in my life all the way back from December of last year and I heard the call and the friends were showing up and the action was starting to happen and the and the all all of the things were coming together and yet I had been spending the past six months in a refusal of the call because I was afraid to start a new journey. And with that clarity, 
when I realized it's so obvious the thing, the story that's trying to be birthed in my real life right now, I quit refusing it. I quit resisting it. Because there's one thing I've learned through this book, through this principle, is that when I lean in to where I'm at in the present moment, right here and now, if I will give that season what it needs, if I will say yes to the call, then even if it's not successful, there's always a stage coming. It's called the elixir. It's the sword and the stone. It's the pencil and the stone if you're a creative person. And even if this journey's not leading to the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, I'm going to learn something in this new story that's trying to happen in my life if I will let it unfold. And I will get that tool, that lesson that I need for my next journey. And so I encourage you today, if you're stuck, if you can't find clarity, if you don't know where you are, to go through this process, find where you're stuck, find the story that's trying to happen in your life. Try to find what's that calling, what's the thing that's going on, what story, maybe you're in the middle of the marathon, maybe you're in the belly of the whale, maybe you can't see up, can't see down, but at least if you know that's the stage that you're in, that you'll have the peace to embrace it and own it. Because this story is you. You you are the special. You are the one. You are the hero. And the audience, the observer in your mind is so freaking sick of watching you sit there and charge up. Do it. Turn Super Super Saiyan. Saiyan. The time is now. Take some action. Figure out where you're stuck on this journey and embrace the stage you're in and get to the next level. The time is now. Hey, if you want to grab one of these 10 books and you also want to support this show at the same time, go to amazon.com slash shop slash Andy J Pizza. I put these 10 books in a little Amazon storefront there. If you purchase it through that link, you will give back to Creative Pep Talk at the same time. Go check it out. They're all there for you. They're also, that link will be in the show notes. Hey, I hope you like this episode. I hope you got tons of stuff out of these 10 books and 10 things I learned from them. You know these things are like the foundation of this podcast. If you've listened listened for a long time, I'm sure you've heard of me talk about most of these things. Hopefully they just freaking boiled them down to some really actionable, practical, tactical stuff. Um, And um, yeah, thanks for listening. Hey, if you want to support the show and you also plan on getting one of these books, you can kill two birds with one stone. Um, and, uh, and go to the show notes. There's an Amazon influencer link there. It's an affiliate link. If you buy those books from Amazon through that link, some of that money will come back to help creative pep talk. If you're going to get those books anyway, why don't you just go and, and do it that way and help us out? Really appreciate it. Um, thank you for listening to the show. Hey, don't, I forgot about this one. Hit record.org slash creative pep talk. We're making a show together. Get it in. The time is running out. We've got about a week left of contributions, and then we're going to be making this show together. Go check it out. Uh, hey, 
Thank you for all the Patreon backers who make this show possible. If you can afford a couple bucks a month, uh, a couple bucks per episode, uh, go check it out. Get access to the special secret podcast, patreon.com slash creative pep talk. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for our beautiful soundtrack. Thanks to Chris Graham of Chris Graham Mastering in the Home Studio, Six Figure Home Studio podcast for mastering this show. And until we speak again, stay pepped up. That was Andy McStanley. I could also do Batman, Lego Batman. I mean, hey, stay pepped up. I don't know if that's good. Anyway, just stay pepped up.